Hello, and welcome to the Business Behind Small Business, the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss common issues small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that is built to sell and one that is built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Tiffany Kao. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. How do you measure quality in your company? Unless you're McDonald's or Starbucks, it's difficult to know if your clients are all getting an equal amount of quality service or product. This can be even more difficult as your company scales and you as the owner gets further and further away from the clients themselves. What systems have you put into your company to ensure the experience is the same for everyone? Or are you now in a place where this has become such an issue that you thought you'd listen to us to help you find the answer? Today, we're going to discuss part one of a two-part series focused on control. Today's discussion will be about quality control when it comes to your clients. Before we begin, please note our disclaimer. This is available in both our show notes and on our website and should be referred to before and or after this podcast. So in business, no matter what kind of business you're in, service-based, product-based, consistency is your friend. Being consistent in the service you provide, the product you provide, the customer support you give is what builds trust between you and your customer. So you want to protect that as much as you can and making sure that you or your employees deliver at the level of quality that you want. You have to be thoughtful about embedding quality control into parts of your business that may affect the quality of your deliverable. And for me, this is where I would say that processes come in. That word everybody, everybody loves to talk about process, <laughs> process, process, process. <laughs> it's my favorite word ever. <laughs> so we've heard the word before, and now it sounds a little bit like a buzzword when it comes to business. But ultimately, what it means is that you're laying down the foundations in your business to reach that consistency stage where your customers know what to expect from you because you deliver each and every time in the same form and in the same manner. Savannah is actually going to go into a little more detail about quality control for our customers. And what I want to do is take a little bit step back and talk about kind of processes as a whole in terms of quality control. Now, I know everybody knows what a process is, so I'm not really going to go into what it is, the definition wise. Instead, I kind of want to go into what typically goes wrong when a company tries to implement this in their business, which is why a lot of people just throw their hands up and give up. So typically, business owners follow this route. One, they create a process. Then they write it down. Then they share it with all their employees. And then that's it. And then one day, a customer complains. And then you, as the business owner, notices that something wasn't quite done right. So you go back to your employees and you go, hey, what happened? And why didn't your employees follow the written process that you had? And your employee apologizes, pulls out the written process that they clearly didn't review before, and then promises that they will follow it going forward. A little more time goes by, and then something else gets dropped. Another customer complains about something a little bit different. So then you ask your employees again, hey, what happened? Well, this time, it's because your process wasn't specific enough to address that issue, so it simply just didn't get addressed. Hmm. Now you go back and you update the process or you ask your employees, but ultimately what happens is you kind of just sit around a little bit worried about what else is going to go wrong. And this is kind of like the whole whack-a-mole kind of feel where, you know, you (laughs) do your best, but it seems like you're just running around trying to catch these things as they pop up. Yeah. Yeah. By the time they get to me, by the time they get to me, it's usually you do it. I give up. My hands are clean of this. I've tried. I'm not doing this anymore. You figure it out. That's generally when I, when they, when they're mine. (laughs) So the whack-a-mole game is a little exhausting after you play it for the Mm -hmm. 50th time. Right. And that, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly the point in which most business owners and even employees or managers will just put their hands up and be like, this is too much. Like we're never going to catch all of it. Mm -hmm. And they're not even that far from actually doing it properly. It's just the fact that, well, 
I'll tell you what it is as we go on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so let's say that it would be a little remiss for us to talk about quality control without actually talking about quality assurance. So at the end of the day, there are two types of controls within quality assurance and quality control. There's the preventive control, which falls under quality assurance, and then there's detective controls that falls under quality control. So why is it even important to know that there's these two types of controls? Because ideally, every process needs both. You need both detective controls, excuse me, you need both preventive controls and you need detective controls. And the reason is that preventive controls is exactly what it sounds like. They're controls that are there to prevent something from going wrong. This is why they fall under quality assurance, because the whole point is that these controls is making sure it gets done in the first place. So a good example of this is that maybe you have a manager sign off on like an expense budget before your employee goes off traveling for business. So it specifies what they can and can, well, basically specifies what they can spend on, which will prevent them from spending on things that they probably shouldn't be spending on. (laughs) Um, The other type of um, example is also maybe setting a limit on your employee's um, credit card that they use, their business credit card um, that they're using before they go on travel or before they can go on that spending spree they're not supposed to go on. So both of these are examples of preventive controls. Now, detective controls is what happens after something has already taken place. The whole point of these controls is to detect something after it's gone wrong. So let's take an example of, again, your employee's pre-approved expense budget. A detective control could be your accounts payable person also gets a copy of this pre-approved budget, and they match it against your employee's business credit card statement to make sure that they didn't go off spending money on something they shouldn't have. The act of your accounts payable person checking this is the detective control because it happened after your employee already spent the money. So if they went around buying something they weren't authorized to buy, well, they kind of already bought it. You're pretty much finding out after the fact. But the point is, is that with these detect controls is that you're finding out something went wrong as close to when it happened so you can minimize the damage. So it's important to have both of these controls in any process. Um, additionally, it's certainly less time intensive if your <laughs> controls, whether detective or preventive, are automated. <laughs> like setting a spending limit on your employee's uh, business credit card. That's an automated control because then you get notified if they decide they are trying to spend over that limit. And it's not something that you have to manually enforce which is like the accounts payable clerk having to double check a report. So it makes sense to install automated controls whenever you can, but certainly it's not the end all be all because there are some things that, let's admit it, humans can simply do better than machines or software. Now, the other thing is I want to go through kind of the five stages of how to effectively incorporate a process into your company. Now, this is also important, too, because like I said, there's a reason why a lot of companies give up when they're trying to put these processes in place. And most of it is because they simply do not understand the stages of the process and they kind of give up halfway while they're trying to implement these stages. So let's start from the top. First part of the process is you create and you develop your process. So essentially, hey, you write it up. It could be on a work doc. It can be on anything. It doesn't have to be fancy. But basically, you memorialize the process somewhere in writing that everybody has access to. Stage two is you implement the process. So implementing may mean putting the process in place, like installing tools or training the people that are involved in the process. That way, everybody has the skill sets, the resources they need to be able to run the process the way you've laid it out. Step number three is enforcing the process. This means making sure that what needs to happen actually happens. Now, oftentimes these are done by, or rather oftentimes this is enforced by like a manager, or you can use some kind of electronic system like an electronic checklist, which oftentimes is found in electronic workflows. Stage number four is monitoring. So this is where you check in on the process to make sure that it is working as intended or needs to be. Now, monitoring can come in a lot of forms. Um, oftentimes, the best form is feedback. Uh, feedback from your employees, maybe, that a process is working as intended or not. Or some companies rely on feedback from their customers, which could be kind of dangerous grounds because usually if your customer is compla- giving you feedback, usually it's a complaint. 
Yeah, 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 it's a slippery slope. So, yes. And then the last stage is reworking or refining the process. So, if when you're monitoring the process and you find an issue, this is where you investigate and you update and you determine what needs to be reworked and what needs to be refined, so the process can close the gaps in in the uh, greater plan. And then once you get to stage five, if you do need to rework, refine, then you actually go back to stage two, which is you basically re-implement, and then mm-hmm. you follow stages two through five again as needed. Now, once it's once a process has gone through a few cycles and you realize that you don't need stage five anymore, which is the need to rework and refine it, then you can kind of stick to a continual cycle of stage um, three and four. So you basically can continue to enforce it and you continue to monitor. And I think this is, Savannah, if you agree with me, where things go wrong is that people start doing enforcing and monitoring and then it gets kind of boring and they're like, hey, nothing has happened. Yep. Nothing has go wrong, gone wrong. So they just kind of stop doing it. <laughs> until the next mole yeah. pops out of the hole. But it's actually really dangerous to do that, to be quite honest. It's it it's likened to like a pilot who's getting ready to fly and decided he's been flying long enough so he doesn't need to go over his pre-flight checklist anymore. You know, you're simply just kind of leaving yourself to chance that something may go wrong and you're simply waiting for something to go wrong. So all this is to say that quality control is inherent in a well laid out process, which kind of or should include a series of prevented and detective controls. And then that's implemented by following the five stages we just spoke about. And then constantly repeating stage uh, three and four, which is enforcing and monitoring the process without fail, even when it feels incredibly boring, incredibly tedious, and maybe even unnecessary. Trust me, it is necessary. Yep. And it might also be good to, if you have... Um, company meetings, um, you may want to maybe twice a year, I wouldn't do it less than twice a year, but at least twice a year, review the um, maybe the employee manual or your processes and procedures uh, with the company to make sure that everybody is still on the same page and that if there are any questions that might ignite a question. Maybe they didn't have a question before, but as you're going through the processes and procedures with everyone, it might spark questions or a discussion. Companies should solicit feedback instead of just kind of waiting for something to go wrong and then using that as the actual feedback. But yeah, Yeah, it doesn't hurt to go through it as well. Um, So Mm -hmm. agreed. And you know, it's difficult for me to discuss quality metrics without also discussing clearly written processes. Processes that are clearly written out will be followed without a person even realizing they're following a process. Uh, when processes are clear, they become so ingrained that they then become a part of your company culture. This is what all successful businesses do and what you should be looking at when trying to figure out how to measure your client's experience within your company, or rather with your company. So there's a popular and standard way to measure service quality. It's called ServeQual. It's co- it was coined by Valerie, and I know I'm going to say these names wrong, so I apologize um, now. It was coined by Valerie Zaythamel, a Parasuraman and Leonard Berry in the book, Delivering Quality Service. ServeQual is a widely used metric based on a set of five dimensions that customers have consistently ranked as the most important for service quality in any industry. So the five first, the five service quality dimensions are tangibility, reliability, responsiveness, assurance, and empathy. We're going to review each of these together, and uh, we'll also include a link to ServeQual in the show notes. Also, in each of my descriptions, I will be paraphrasing from an article that expands on these descriptions written by Brittany Klokenga, of which the link will also be in the show notes. So we'll start with tangibility. Tangibility is the appearance of physical facilities, the storefront, the equipment, the personnel, the communication materials. Customers tend to expect clean and professional facilities and shops, restaurants, salons, you know, places that tend to be kind of dirty quickly. Uh, They're looking for these places to be clean and professional. Employees are groomed and neat and well-written and designed materials such as menus, websites, and signs. Attention to appearance can indicate that your company takes customer comfort seriously. 
While appearance is not the most critical aspect of service, it does make a difference in how customers perceive your business, especially if your brand promises a premium or luxury experience. Whether or not that is a service or a product, it doesn't matter. You need to be able to deliver visually what your company is promising. Next, we'll go with reliability. Reliability is the ability to perform the promised service dependably and accurately, not or accurately, uh, which is a situation that our company finds ourselves in when someone becomes a client of ours. It is most often because the person they were working with before let them down or was, was inaccurate. Doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it is essential to pleasing your customers. They want to rely on your business to deliver a working product or effective service. They want to get the help when they need it and for all of it to happen in a timely fashion. Customers want to count on the businesses they buy from. And I mean, I can't, I can't explain that anymore. It's at the heart of the dimension. Next is responsiveness. Responsiveness is the willingness to help customers and provide prompt service. And to be honest, if you don't know the answer to a question that a client has asked or the answer to a question that someone has asked you about your product, just saying, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to find out what it is. That, that to me is just as valuable and important. Any answer to me is an answer. Respond quickly to customer questions. It's, a, it's so important in today's fast-paced world. Responsiveness applies when customers are slow in responding to you. It doesn't matter how quick they are. It matters how quick you are. It lets your customers know that you're listening to them and you're working actively to solve their problems. I think that's the one thing that um, I think a lot of uh, service-based companies or employees tend to struggle with is they tend to confuse responsiveness with resolution. Yes, uh, I actually most recently gained a couple of clients um, that came to me specifically because they were so frustrated with the company that they were working with before because they never heard from them. They would ask the the other service provider uh, questions and would not get answers. And so I'm going the extra, extra mile to make sure that they feel safe and secure with me and my company because I don't want them to ever feel like they're in the dark about, about their own companies. Cause that's what we do. We, we, we provide service to their companies. So I don't want anyone to ever feel like they're in the dark. And I think probably like what your, your team is doing is that it's, and the customers too, it's not that they're expecting an answer. They're expecting just a response, yes. <laughs> like some kind of acknowledgement that you've received it. You're working mm-hmm. on it. I, I think the confusion comes in that uh, a lot of people misconceive like customers asking for something as in they cannot respond until they have a hundred percent of the answer ready. And that's what caused the lag in communication. Yep. And when you're in a remote world, like we are, and again, I think Savannah, you and I are a little more advantageous mm-hmm. in this because our businesses were largely remote. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we had a lot of, we had to pay a lot of attention and be very thoughtful in the communication of how we communicated with our clients who can't mm-hmm, see us, mm-hmm. <laughs> which makes people nervous in a pre-COVID world. Sure. Um, we were we were able to kind of close that gap by making sure we are responding mm-hmm. and we're responding even when there is no fully uh, formulated answer. But yet. that's a good point that you make because there are a lot of businesses that went remote post-COVID and now they might be struggling with how do I measure the quality of service a client is getting when I can't see them anymore. And these are the ways in which you can measure it because it's almost like a curtain between you and the client. You're providing the service or you're providing the product, but now you can't physically hand it to them or you can't physically see their emotions when they receive the service or the product. So how do you, how do you make sure that they are receiving what you're giving, if you will? Or the lack of what you're giving, I guess. Um, So next is assurance. Assurance is the knowledge and courtesy of employees and their ability to convey trust and confidence. So it's kind of an offshoot of of 
how you're making them feel when you're responding to them or not responding to them. Customers expect businesses to be the experts in the service they deliver. Communicating that expertise helps reassure them that they can trust you. It's significant when customers have many options, but they're not sure who to trust when purchasing. So this goes back to what I was saying. If you run an e-commerce store, uh, for example, in that case, customers are bombarded regularly with ads from potentially untrustworthy online shops all day. You need to determine how to set yourself apart and gain customer trust. And lastly is empathy. Empathy is the caring, individualized attention the firm provides as customers. And I've said this so many times that a successful business should, at its core, have emotion. Emotion, emotion, emotion. It doesn't matter if you're fantastic at all of the other things, if you cannot get to a to how a customer feels. They want to feel like they're more than a transaction. They want to build a relationship with your business. Even if you have the best product or service on the market, you can still short, fall short of their expectations. And I think it's safe to say that in sales and either service or product-based companies are all based on emotion. Again, it's all about how a person feels about and within your company. That's going to make the difference on what they feel when the transaction is completed. So take these five measurements of satisfaction and make notes on where your company stands within each marker. I think it's also important to know that like um, what you were saying about empathy too, the feelings, um, that's also the reason if whether or not they're going to stay customers mm -hmm. and they'll keep buying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, a customer is creating a relationship with you from the moment that they experience you. What you want to make sure that that's not a toxic relationship, <laughs> that it is a, a good, supportive, positive, um, well-formulated relationship. So in saying that, that brings us to what we're going to be talking about is how, uh, what our opinions are on the best way to measure uh, in an automated fashion, um, on a person-controlled fashion, uh, and at what point in the stages stages of your business these should be implemented. Yeah, I think if we, I think we, if we tackle the question of let's tackle first, like what stage these things should be implemented, right now. I guess you can say that you can argue when you're a small business, mm -hmm. let's just say what, under under 100K? Yeah. In annual revenue, when you're a small business, most likely you're probably, you probably are the quality yeah. control because you're likely the main person who is delivering sure. all of the service mm -hmm. or handling the customer transactions to, you know, buy a product as well as the customer service that comes in after the fact. So I think when you're that small, what happens is you embody all the quality controls, which makes things a little bit easier mm -hmm. because whether you consciously know it or unconsciously know it, you're already threading through a lot of these elements of what you were talking about. Um, these businesses are already threading that through what they're mm -hmm. doing just from their sheer will of wanting to run a good business. I think as you get larger, um, which I guess is my short answer of saying it's never too early to start. True. <laughs> You probably already are starting. I think as it gets larger, I think the will is still there. I think it just becomes that much harder because the business owner isn't the one person doing it all. So now not only do you have to make sure you now you actually are five steps removed maybe from your customer and you want to make sure the person who's the first touch with your customer actually gets knows how to provide the same level of quality service um, that you would have done yourself. And that's where it becomes really hard. It's like a game of telephone sometimes I feel like it kind of is but then um but then that begs to question do you hire a person to provide that level of quality mm -hmm. control that whose focus is only based on quality control or do you focus your efforts and your money on automated efforts so I think that because because my view of business has always been, um, I guess going back to the start of you and me creating this podcast, yeah. has always been talking about creating kind of like a sellable business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and part of the elements of being a sellable business is you don't you don't want to be leveraged by any key employee in your business. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of on that same notion, it always drives me to try to put in as much automation by software as possible, just so that you don't end up being leveraged to any one person, including myself as the business owner. But that being said, I think there is a true thing as over automating (laughs) as well, where you're, it becomes too robotic and too mechanical, right? And like a good example of this is, I think there was a fad when this happened. Uh, remember those chatbots? Yes. Where you can go into a website and this little helpful little thing yes. <laughs> pops up in the corner of the website and it'd be like, hey, how can I help you, right? And you at first get taken and you think you're writing to a real person on the yeah. other end to only find out that it's an automated AI who either answers your question weirdly mm-hmm. or answers it in a super robotic way or tells you to go find an article in the knowledge yep. base uh, that, you know, leaves a bad taste in somebody's mouth. And that's what I mean by like, you know, I think the automation was a good idea, but that became a little bit too robotic mm-hmm. in that sense. That becomes a turnoff to your customers, even though what you were trying to do is you were trying to you know, kind of probably get ahead of the problem, offer, you know, uh, answers or support before the customer you know, starts looking. For so then at what point does it become? Cause if you go too deep, I feel like you become um, a micromanaging um, anal retentive nightmare. So at what, <laughs> at what point, at what, <laughs> at what point do you become a, how, how do I put this? Um, okay. So uh, let me back up. The reason why I'm asking this question is because I had a conversation with a person who uh, I was saying that, you know, I feel like my company is now in a place where although we have a client relations manager who makes sure that both client and service provider are happy and doing what they need and are receiving what they need, I feel like I still need to have another person whose eyeballs are on the work, making sure that the work is at a high level of quality. And that person said, well, doesn't that boil down to how you hire? Do you really need to have a person micromanaging your service providers? Or do you think that you just need to hire better? (laughs) So I was like, I don't like the way. What a good question. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But I don't know because <laughs> I do have processes written. I do have automation. Some things are automated and some things are not. So the things that are automated are the things that, you know, doesn't really need a human touch anyway. Um, but I don't know. At what point is it too much? Too much control on the quality control, I suppose. <laughs> too much control, the quality control. How many times can we use the word control in one sentence? I know. Hope that no, I hope no one makes this into a drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> feel like some of our episodes would make very good drinking games. My gosh. I mean, right? With the amount of process, the word process we use, anyone would die from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think it kind of goes back also to the age old question of like um, effort versus benefit, right? Cost versus benefit, too. Um, you know, your, your, your call, like your calls can't outweigh your benefit of doing something. So if you install an elaborate system of controls and sure, you know, things get out the door, but maybe you're too slow now because there's like a million like gates before you get there, <laughs> mm-hmm. or it's too complicated for any logical human being to follow, then, you know, the, it's not worth doing, um, at that point. But mm-hmm. so, and I mean, I guess that being said, that's, that's one thing. So the person you were speaking to may have a point about, you know, <laughs> revisiting the quality of hires you have too. That's mm-hmm. not a bad point. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, there's other ways to do it too. I feel like instead of just like, let's just say like, for example, like you go back and you look at your quality hires and you're like, okay, so, you know, maybe there's other things I can do to ensure that my people are following the processes more carefully. And then on Uh the other, so that would be kind of like the preventive control, right? And Uh then on the detective control, um, 
you could put something on that end. Maybe it's like solicitation of feedback from your customers. Although that is for me like the worst control possible because like I said, usually if the customers can give you a feedback at that level, they're like, why are you waiting for me to catch the problem? Shouldn't you be catching this before you got out the door instead? Right. Um, but one thing could happen is maybe like um, you can either do a pre- uh, detective control where instead of overviewing like all of everything that's delivered, you do kind of like a sample of everything that's delivered, right? So it's a little bit less Mm -hmm. effort on whoever's doing it and it wouldn't kind of outweigh the benefit of that getting done. That makes Mm -hmm. sense at all? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a sample, like an audit sample in a sense, like, oh, I'm just, Mm -hmm. this month I'm going to look at these five particular deliverables. Next month I'm going to, you know, randomly pick another five. And that in itself may be able to kind of limit the, the risk of something going out the door that, you know, will be significantly not good. Hmm. So nobody can see this, but I can tell by Savannah's face, she did not like that answer. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it because it's not agreeing with me. (laughs) What are your thoughts on it though? What would, what would you, what would you ideally like to do? When it was just me for the first, six years of my uh, owning the company, six to seven years of owning the company, uh, six years. First six years, it was just me. And I was del- it, I was responsible 100% for all of the quality. And I knew what I had to do to make a person feel good. I knew how to assure them, how to uh, communicate with them. And so to, to deliver all of those five things that I had mentioned earlier. Then I hire my first person and then I hire my second person and on and on in that seventh year. And I realized I need to start writing this stuff down. So in year seven is when I started writing all my processes and I've been working on them ever since. So um, every six months I review the processes. Uh, Actually not every six months. I take that back. Every August is when I review all of the processes as to which ones worked, which ones didn't, which platforms worked, as in like which automated platforms worked, which um, project management, process management platforms worked, which ones didn't. So I could reassess them. And I do it in August because that's my slow month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I recommend for anybody who has a slow month to to do that that sort of kind of audit of their own internal processes and then kind of keep what they like and, and toss out the rest and figure out what, what else they can do to do things better. Then I got to a point where I really needed to hire someone else because I couldn't keep up anymore. I had too many contractors, which is not a bad thing. I had too many contractors and I had too many clients for me to be the only person and and plus it just didn't seem professional to me. I had been in business long enough and I was at a, uh, a level at which I had a certain type of clientele that would have had an expectation of not having to only ever deal with me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I hired a client relations manager and that client relations manager on boards and off boards, she does exit surveys for both client and contractor because everyone on my team is a contractor. That's why I, that's why I'm using that word, but it could, it could go for employee too, stand for employee as well. Um, uh, and she also will reach out and say, hey, how's everything going? Are you happy? Is there anything that I can do to make you happier with your experience? If there's anything you have any questions about, please let me know. And she does that for both. Uh, aside from that, we also had been knocking our heads back and forth about how can we create a level of quality control that does not require a micromanagement piece you know, does not require an actual person to say, hey, did you finish your work? <laughs> hey, did you do your work? Did you do your work right? <laughs> which was the, which was that argument that I, uh, or heated discussion that we had had uh, that I mentioned earlier. So we came up with a very simple Excel spreadsheet that you check mark mm-hmm. that is shared with the client. Yep. And the client sees it and we see it but it holds the client accountable, also holds us accountable of the X, Y's and Z's of the things that we're required to do and the X, Y's and Z's of what they're required to do in order for us to do what we're requir- required to do. It makes sure that everything is clean. It takes no time at all to do. Um, and also it's it keeps everyone accountable because in a service-based uh, uh 
which I can't speak for a product because within a product based, the client themselves are not responsible for how the product is. Or do they um, care? Performs for them. Yeah. Right. They don't care. They just want to buy the final product. They don't care how they you want to buy it. it. Yeah. But in, right. But in a service based uh, um, area arena, the client is also responsible for what they're giving you in order for you to provide the service. Right. And this goes for all kinds of services. This is, this is even for, you know, like, let's say if you're um, working on, uh, working on cars or maybe a landscaping service or something like that, like you expect the client to not set their lawn on fire or whatever, you know, whatever it may be, they hold a level of responsibility. So, you know, that's just one small facet, but then I still sometimes wonder, would it help to have another person who is, uh, I don't know, an account manager. And at what level would that person be expected at what, at what stage in my company's uh, trajectory would that person be expected to be in place? I don't know. Well, so some of this takes some monitoring too, right? Uh, and this, this, this is, you know, what I mean by that stage three and four, which is enforcement and monitoring. The monitoring is supposed to make sure that what needs to be done is getting done or what's intended to be done is getting done and constantly monitoring that. Now, if you're monitoring it and you're seeing that there's a lot of issues popping up, then those, th- that, those issues have to be collected and looked at to see, hey, is it worth you know, is it worth the cost of hiring another person to solely focus on this job, right? To uh, to quality control, or is there another way to do it? So I'll say, for example, this. So when I started early on, I had a quality control person. It was somebody who was removed from a team, and I did that on purpose because I wanted somebody to have an objective third eye in reviewing what was being done before it went out the door. Right now, what I realized was, and I knew I knew this was the case, and the cost worked out okay. That it, it was good at that point in time for me. The point, the 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 crux of this was because they were removed, they could quality control what was being done and when, but they couldn't quality control whether it was being done right. Right being up to the customer's expectation. Right. So I think we can distinguish the fact that. There's a lot of easy ways now, especially with software, to make sure things are being done on time and what is being yeah. done. The I think the fuzzy part is, and where people can't quite land their arrow, is if it is it being done to the quality of your customer's expectation or your, your company expectation, right? Usually they're hand in hand. Which brings us all the way back to hiring. <laughs> so I will say uh, we ended up with, I mean, you can do this like 50 different ways, however you want to do it, right? So with us, we ended up attaching an account manager to, like we we paired off basically our teams and one person was always the account manager. And their job wasn't just to do quality control, but their job was also to be the customer relationship manager, so they're kind of doing what your person is doing, right? Proactively reaching out. They're they're the ones that's supposed to be a little bit more intuitive of if there is something the customer is not okay with. They're the ones that the customer calls so they feel like they pick up the phone and call. Now, we weren't at a stage where it was worth getting like a um like a customer support system or CRM, maybe I don't even some CRMs have been mm-hmm. built in um, any kind of ticketing system. Although we, I was starting to explore that part of it to have some kind of ticketing system in a sense. The only reason mm-hmm. I didn't pull that trigger is I felt like a ticketing system kind of put like a drew a line between us and the customer and made it seem like it was a little bit colder where, you know, if they have an issue, they have to go feed it into a ticket, get a number, and then somebody random will call them back. I didn't really like mm-hmm. that. And I wanted a way to try to figure out how to basically get that done and be more automated and have a, have like, have all our feedback, basically our monitoring get collected on like in the system, which can actually be analyzed a little easier because it's all being captured in the system. Like who calls when and for what, mm-hmm. Um, I wanted the benefits of that. I just didn't really care for the ticketing part. Although, I mean, nowadays, to be quite honest, I think the important part is if the client gets a ticket and they're constantly getting great service after the ticket, 
nobody really cares. <laughs> so yeah, as long as you attend yeah. to it, right? So because you liked you you didn't like the ticketing, but the client liked the ticketing. Well, so I know I just I I I I didn't particularly like it. That was one 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 issue I didn't like with it. But the thing is, I ended up working with a couple companies where you know I have to submit tickets because they were my vendors, right? And then what I realized mm-hmm. was what the SaaS companies were doing finally. So, you know, I take all my, I take a lot of my initiatives about customer support from SaaS companies because they spend so much money in this area of customer success. Mm-hmm, and, support. Mm-hmm. and what I've noticed, what they did is they have a ticketing system, but as soon as you put in a ticketing system, they have somebody human, um, or maybe it's a templated email. I don't know. The first one might be a templated email, but basically you get a response right back. That is a very warm response. Right. So then Mm -hmm. you feel like you're being hurt. Now, I'm sure that first email is probably automated. But what systems can do now is they can monitor what your response level is. Right. So if I respond and I have keywords in my response saying I am effing pissed off or Mm -hmm. something along those lines, immediately somebody emails me back, tries to schedule a phone call or just calls me. Right. So I think if the outcome is that it doesn't matter what manner the feedback is getting collected. And I think that that at the end of the day, I was fine with that. I just haven't gotten, I didn't get around to actually implementing that before I got bought, but that's, that would have been a path I've cho- I would have chosen. Yeah. That's funny. You should mention that because a ticketing platform is something that I have been tossing around in my head as to, uh, an, uh, as to a, um, as opposed to doing uh, actually hiring a person, because I actually was thinking about doing yeah. a ticketing platform or some form of a ticketing process. And this is this uh, is the reason why I I lean toward automation because automation yeah. usually comes. And when I say automation, I do mean a little bit more relying on a system or a software mm-hmm. um, because it allows you to collect data in a way that humans cannot and cannot consistently mm-hmm. do so. Right? Because mm-hmm. we're people. <laughs> so yeah. that allows you to scale up because as you get bigger, you know, you keep collecting all this data, you're able to analyze the data and you start seeing weaknesses or gaps in your process that it's mm-hmm. really hard to do by somebody logging something into an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think you do need to insert some of the human element in there. I don't, I, I just don't think as a service-based company, you want to be too far removed from no, definitely some not. human in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we could talk yeah. about our favorite company. We were talking about Amazon. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Yeah, because um, that's actually the thing that I was thinking about. The solution that I was considering as opposed to hiring an actual person was to have a ticketing um, process that would kind of ping our custom- customer relations manager and she would reach out to the client. Um, and it would also be a way for her to keep track of what's going on with who. Um, because that's another thing that we're having an issue with with our scaling is that... Um, some things get forgotten because there are, I mean, knock on wood, there's a, a good amount of clients and there's a good amount of contractors. So sometimes it can be difficult to keep up with all of the things that everybody needs. Yeah. And you also need, like, you need a system to give you automatic notifications, right? Like what you were saying earlier with the Excel spreadsheet, I mean, essentially that is a, a transparent electronic workflow, basically. That's yes. what you have, right? So you have assignments to yeah. different people that's part of that workflow. That workflow has is accessed by everybody and then they can see which part they're in, who's done what and when and where, right? Take that and put it into an electronic system. So like uh, one of my examples for tools is monday.com, same idea. The great part about having that system is you don't need to keep looking at it to see if somebody missed something. It knows what the due Uh date is. It will flag you and let you know that, hey, somebody missed the due date here along the way. And that allows you, again, you know, that's considered a, uh, detective control, but at least that allows you to know right away and do something about it instead of, you know, waiting for something bigger to explode down the line instead. Mm -hmm. Um, But just Mm -hmm. so that, so that, you know, too, Simon, if you're looking at ticketing systems or whatnot, like a lot of these, Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of them built it, built it in as part of the CRM, but I think, I think ultimately they really call customer success, like management systems or customer management systems. Um, They're super sophisticated those days. Like, they can, like I said, like actually monitor like your communication and that you can, you know, kind of program in there kind of what the levels are that you want some kind of ticket to be raised to who, right? Hmm. So again, keywords in there, right? I'm effing pissed off, things like that, right? Like you can kind of monitor kind of like how how dire and urgent, <laughs> how, big this, like how big this bomb is about to go explode, right? And <laughs> it, it allows you to kind of intervene before something, you know, crosses a point of no return 
instead. And that's that's the thing about the Swift. Now, of course, guess what? It costs a lot of money. <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah, oh, as to be expected. So then now we're so, back to the cost and benefit, right? At what point can right. your company afford this? And that is something you'll have to look at your budget and just see, you know, how much can you benefit? Because I was talking about this with somebody else last week too. Um, you know, we were just talking about things that are overkill for a certain size of a business. And, um, you know, she used an example of like, you know, what's the point of building a castle if nobody's will, you know, ready to move in yet? And for sure. That's, yeah. that's very true. You don't want to also spend a whole bunch of money building a complicated system that is complete overkill for your side of business. So that does take a little bit more analysis on that end. Agreed. If I need a class, then maybe I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> because I, that's just, that's just me. If I, if I feel like I'm getting another master's degree. I should not. Be I cannot. Here. I cannot. Many, 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 many moons ago when Salesforce first came oh, out. Oh, heaven. First came out. You know, they have like yeah, there, universities and stuff for a reason, right? So. Oh my goodness. The uh, person that I was doing work for wanted me to do this, I don't even know, six week course or whatever it was on Salesforce. And I said, I don't even know what the words that are coming out of their mouths are saying. I This is way above my pay grade, buddy. So, and it was so many years ago. So I can only imagine like how much more sophisticated it is now, or maybe it's more streamlined and you don't need a six week course anymore and need a, a, you know, master, you're right, like a master's program. But I remember at that time I was like, if I need to go to school to learn how to use your software, perhaps it is not meant for me. Because I, I have the brain capacity of a goldfish at this stage in my life. And half of what you say will not even be retained. I'll probably only retain about 2% of what you say. So I need you to be easy. I don't need to think about it. Um, there's too much information in my head as is. Too many tabs are open. I just need you to do the things I need you to do. And just Well, I think, I think you, you, know, you hit a good point when you were saying, you know, we're getting to a point where we're big enough and there's enough going on that we're starting to see little things get dropped, right? Just tiny yeah. little things. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the, you know, start the rip of the fabric there. And that's always yes. a good indicator of, hey, we probably should look for a different resource at this point because you've clearly outgrown what you've had. Now, yes. knowing you, um, of course, you have processes down and it is all implemented and it's regularly monitored. That's how you know things are yes. falling through. And yes. um, using that as an example, just for our listeners, like keep that in mind because the better process you have laid down, the more consistent, let's just say you start with a manual process because most people do, like most people can't go mm -hmm. out there and afford a system when they first start up to actually Absolutely. run stuff for them. Although, Mm -hmm. Mind you, things are getting cheaper these days, but still the whole point is not even just what software and system you use. It's making sure you follow those five steps and you consistently enforce and monitor it so that your process is being consistently followed with a consistent yep. output. Because then when you go out and buy the expensive system, guess what? You still got to teach the system what your process is. And so if your Precisely. system, isn't, if, your, if your process isn't consistent or it's not coming out with a consistent outcome, which means it's just not working for you. If you don't figure that out, no system in the world is going to save you. That is absolutely, absolutely correct. Because um, like I said, I've spent almost five years on processes. And so, and they're still not perfect. I'm still perfecting the processes because the climate changes, the culture changes, the people change, the, the um, people who work for me are not always the same. So, and the way that they uh, accept communication might not be the way that the last people accepted communication. So processes are in constant flow and it should be a constant flow. It should never be static. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to, pick your brain about these customer success systems. I'd like to know, I'd like to know who you like. Um, yes. Cause you sound like you've graduated to that level, which is exciting. I have. Yes, I have. I have. But that's it's only because exciting. you earned your way there. Cause we, I yeah, know absolutely. you and I know that you are consistently following process and you're process driven and process obsessed. To be quite honest, it's probably a good word to describe any business owner is to being process obsessed or at least, yes. Uh, let's just say if you're a CEO, hopefully your COO is process, <laughs> process. Yes. Obsessed. Oh my gosh. Somebody in your company yes. has to be process obsessed, right? Um, mm -hmm. but you, you can only graduate to that system level and, 
I think with anything, I don't even care what you're talking about with an accounting system, right? Oh, Savannah, you know, you get this all the time. People think they go mm-hmm. out and they buy QuickBooks and it's going to solve all their problems. Oh, for sure. And they're like, oh, the system will, the system will reconcile. Oh, great. Okay. Um, <laughs> the system also requires a human to be clicking on things. And Absolutely. same thing with, yeah, same thing with any kind of process system you buy. Like you got to clarify your own process and it needs to work even before you install it into the system. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, that's what I tell people all the time. Just because you have the software that does not make you a professional and no differently than if I were to go out and get a hammer, I cannot go and build a house. I would have to <laughs> hire people to use said hammers. Would I not? So, you know, it's no different. Ikea makes you feel like you're a furniture maker. You are not a furniture maker. This is, this, these are just, um, layman terms utilized to make you feel like you're a furniture maker. And that's what QuickBooks is. They use layman terms and they try and make it easy for you. But in the end, you don't hire a bookkeeper or an accountant because you're doing a great job. (laughs) You hire (laughs) a bookkeeper or an accountant because you just created a a big pile of doo-doo and now you need somebody to help you fix that. So So in saying that- Your original point, people or automation- you know, I think, uh, I think that you, you definitely have part of a winning argument there. I don't think you can ever really take the people fully out of it. Yes. No, you cannot. Absolutely cannot. You do still need people to monitor. Yes. So in saying that in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful business owners of today or in history. And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. I'm going to stare at Savannah for this one because I missed a homework assignment and I don't have a famous example. Well, it's okay. It's okay. Cause I, I'm, I'm brimming with excitement on, on this. And, and I will say that even though I say what I say about QuickBooks, what I love, and they're not my example, but I'm going to segue, I'm going to segue into my example. But what I will say about QuickBooks is that anytime I have even a slightest inconvenience, I immediately call their customer service because I don't want to waste my time trying to figure it out. I love talking to their customer service or their tech support or whatever you want to call it. I love talking to them. They're so responsive. And if they can't help you, they will find someone who will. I love talking to to QuickBooks support. They are bar none to me. Um, So anyway, speaking of which, I thought I would focus on companies that have great customer service, mainly because I've had the worst experience with Verizon that has been going on for so, so very long that it begs to be highlighted how important customer service is. This is a great measurement as well of the quality your company outputs and how a client feels after they've experienced your business. Uh, We're also including a link in the show notes for you to read about the other companies on a top 10 list, which I feel you can definitely use as a jumping off point for creating better metrics for your service quality. So I already said Verizon was a special kind of hell. So I'll tell you who I'm completely in love with other than QuickBooks, and that's Amazon. Their customer service is also bar none, and it has honestly motivated me to buy more from them than from anyone else. So like at this point, I'm only buying from Amazon and Target anymore, but I'll focus on Amazon for now. Free shipping above a certain limit unless you pay for Prime. And if you do, you get a whole heck of a lot of great apps like video, music, and more. You get automatic refunds, price guarantees, and I've tried their try before you buy a couple of times. And that has been an awesome experience. I would totally do that again. I recently just bought a pair of joggers that way because I was like, oh, these are really cute, but I don't know if they look as good on me as they do on model. <laughs> um, and they were, it was, it was, it was great. Um, according to this article, every customer service rating manual on earth has an Amazon case study in it. According to Forbes, Amazon shoppers say they listen and they fix every problem on the side of the customer, whether the purchase was made through them or a third party. They are one of the best customer service companies out there. 
Amazon has built a brilliant platform that elevates the customer experience to a degree that pivots a customer to slowly filter everyone else out and exclusively use them. But then that could be just me. (laughs) They do make it hard to walk. So I know there are people who are against Amazon. Yeah, I know. And I don't know why. Uh, I get it. I'm not. I mean, I get it. I don't want to say like, you know, I don't want to piss off any of our listeners here. Um, <laughs> I, get but, it. I get it. But, but, um, and I get it, right? Because they're, they're you know, they're huge and they, they seem to have a yeah, lot of influence yeah. on pricing for a lot of things. Okay, anyway, yeah. so aside from the politics of it, though, but you have to admire them for their customer support. Like, Mm-hmm. If anything, you should just experience it and at least learn from them because what they're doing works. And of course, I mean, come on, like I think we I think we all know there's a system behind it, right? They're using some kind of software, probably internally built because they're Amazon, they can afford it. For sure. Yes. And their system constantly monitors like what you're what you're feeling, what you like, they know how the calls go. So like they're monitoring it through their system to know how their customer service people are interacting with their customers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not like I think like the uh, I don't know how I don't know how exactly Amazon do- does it, but I know like you know there's p- places you call and they're like, oh, this call's gonna be recorded recorded for training purpose and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I do believe that some companies truly actually have people monitoring those calls, right? Meaning that mm-hmm. maybe after the fact, a manager or somebody will go and pick a sample amount of calls, listen to it just to make sure that nobody's doing anything crazy right. um, or off the script. So yeah, like I think I, I think that we can all learn a lot, at least from the customer support side of, um, of Amazon. And the fact is, I mean, I, I buy and return a lot of stuff through Amazon and oh, every yeah. single touch point I've ever had with their customer service is... Almost the same in a sense that they're always, they're always happy. Um, yeah, I don't know how you inject that in there, but hey, they're always happy. Um, they're always, they're always happy. They're always helpful. They're not talking from a script. So however they train them, they just know what they can do and they always leave you like satisfied after you hang up the call, right? So whatever issue you have, you don't get bounced around to a million departments. And I've had some weird issues sometimes. Like as much as like, hey, I'm trying to get into Amazon and it's sending me a text to let me in. I can't get in because I'm not getting a text, right? Like random stuff like right. that. And you know, the person on the phone knows how to knows how to answer it, and mm-hmm. it's always consistently the same experience. And that's the part I'm saying that our listeners should you know experience and learn from because that's yeah, yeah. I mean, hate on them as much as you want, but honestly, like you, you if nothing else, to try to. Um, use the same try to try to mirror what it is that they do to make people make your own clientele feel the same way people amazon makes their clientele feel if there's anything you could take away then that would be your takeaway so in saying that with each episode we like to share either books tools apps platforms or anything we think is a great next step and connector to our discussion. So if you like our subject matter and want to learn more, you'll have a great place to start. So I I am a fan of electronic workflows, which Savannah is already all over, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I think I think the days of um I mean doing workflows um, on, on a Word doc or some kind of shared document, Google doc, whatever it is, it can be. I mean, these days, I'm f- like, luckily for us, the software has gotten cheap enough that you can probably go get a subscription software and have the benefits of having an electronic workflow. Like I said, that has, you know, all the automated notifications and all that kind of like preventive stuff built in already. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of like you, Savannah, though, it takes me a while to learn the stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Oh god. I get it, but I'm just like, man, this thing takes a while to learn, right? But I have to say, um, yeah. of all of them, like, you know, Monday.com is pretty easy to learn because they're a little quirky. Um, mm-hmm. they are a little quirky, they're a little weird, but it's <laughs> like even a commercial <laughs> everything is a little quirky and weird. They try to make yeah. it less intimidating to use such a big workflow system. So I think that's what it is. Uh Reich.com was also another one that I explored, R I K E. No idea how they came up with that name, uh, but I remember watch. Um, I remember um, exploring and demoing with both of them at the same time, and I thought they were fairly comparable. I can't. I can't remember one of them. I think slightly cheaper than the other one. 
So, um, but both of course had great service and everything like that. Uh, the other one is, I don't even know if Basecamp is still around. I think it is. Basecamp. Basecamp. I don't know if it is. Oh, well then never mind. I'm going to talk. But this one is definitely around. Uh, For those of you who may be a little bit more attached to your Excel spreadsheets, which again, nothing wrong with that, especially if your size of your company deems that it's, you know, that's what's appropriate for the cost and benefit of it. Try Mm -hmm. Airtables. Yeah. So Airtables is, uh, I know, I know Savannah's a big fan of this. (laughs) Airtables is, um, it has the Excel element in it and then so much more. Uh, yeah. to it. So you're able to kind of see things in different views. It does have project management uh, capabilities in a sense that there's certain ways to lay out your information in Airtable so that you kind of have an electronic workflow if you build it out properly. And you can kind of build things in so that it does notify you and whatnot. But it's just, it's really mm-hmm. cool software. Um, Savannah, I don't yeah. know if you, I know, I know you kind of live in it a little bit more than I do. I do and I don't. Uh, there's so much about it that I could use. I, I've pretty much just dipped my toe in and that seems to be enough for me for now. But there's so there's so much more to it that I would love to learn one day when I feel like I could probably retain more information. I just... Don't know if I have it in me. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. okay. So I would say that I would say that if um, if 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 our listeners are currently using Excel, try Airtables, give it a go. Yeah, it's not terribly complicated to use in a sense that honestly, no. you can go to YouTube and really YouTube anything you need from there. There are people who yeah. have like just you know videos of how to use Airtables. Um, and um, you can see the different formats and stuff. And really, there's a lot of automation in it. Like I said, that I'm sure in Excel you can do if you knew how to program a darn thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so that's the thing about Excel as well, right? Like there's all kinds of like macros and all these different like formulas you can I do. I haven't graduated to that level. Have. I'm sure. I mean, I probably could. I, well, actually, no, and, 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 I, I take that back. I've done pretty complicated formulas, but it's like, I feel like I, you know, got, I actually got my computer science degree, which... I was a double major for a short period of time in university. By the time I finished all that, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> this is too Yeah. Hard. So, and like, I probably only use about 10% of the capacity of Excel, but that's okay because it does what I need it to do. I don't need more than that. And I feel that way about Airtable. That's just me. Yeah. I know I probably only use about 10% of it of what it's capable of, but it's okay because it works for me. And what I like to do with it is I put, I right now use it as my, um, my contact list and I have everyone in my contact list separated by what um, field they're in, what industry they're in. Uh And so if I'm going to send something out, but I only want it to go out to people in this particular industry, I can filter it appropriately. Yeah. Well, like those are the ways in which I use it, but I just know, I know that it's a bit, I know that it can do so, so much more than that. I just don't, I don't use it, but I also know that it's very, very simple to use if, you know, there, and there's a lot, you're right. Lots of YouTube videos on all the ways in which it can be used. And I will also say that Google is coming out with their beta testing right now, a, what I would call a, um, a program, very similar platform, very similar to Airtable, and it's okay. called tables, Google tables. So, tables, um, yeah, I, I guess you couldn't get you couldn't get a uh, trademark on that one, but okay, apparently not. <laughs> but uh, if you wanna if you wanna Google Google Tables, you could also look into that and see if that's something that you might prefer. Oh, that's uh, because it does. Um, it would live in the Google family, and it obviously speaks very well with all the other Google products. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that you could also uh, look into. And with it being on uh, the ground floor right now, uh, it'd be good to get into it while the um, program is currently free. Yeah, I think that if, if people are relying heavily on Excel and you're like, kind of like what you were saying, Savannah, like, hey, you know, it'd be like life would be a little bit easier if there's some automation to this Excel. But yep. I, for the life of me, first of all, do not have the time to go sit there and figure this out. The the uh, stepping stone in Airtable makes that just a little bit easier. It sounds like Google, ta- yep. I'm sure Google Table is going to do the same thing just to make it, it does easier. It does really, very, people don't yeah. want to sit there and figure it out. Like, I mean, we don't yep. because we're not programmers and we don't want to do this. Right. So, and I'm sure, you know, Microsoft 
Microsoft still has its place. I'll tell you that Microsoft Excel still has its mm-hmm. place. But then the For other sure. thing is um, on top of that is if you use stuff like Airtables, another thing you can look into is Zapier. Oh and yeah. Or, mm-hmm. You know, those of you who want the automation, but maybe are in love with certain softwares you already use and you just need I the software to talk to, talk to Excel or talk to another mm-hmm. software. Like Zapier is kind of like that bridge and it's super easy to use. There is no coding involved. Thank goodness. <laughs> no, you literally just say, I want to connect this to this. Yeah. And then it and then they have like kind of pre-made um, yeah, pre-made like processes kind of in a sense, like commonly yeah. used that other yeah. people have basically already programmed together. So like if you're like, mm-hmm. hey, I want to connect this to this, it'll say, hey, these mm-hmm. people, like all this stuff is already thought out for you. Which one of these would you like to already put in place? Yep. And you just do that and it connects. Soft- I mean, it's, it's a brilliant piece of software. I think um, it, it really is. That's what I like. Love it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've, I've used before. Um, even with my CRM, I think I was uh, I was using Active Campaigns. I use Zapier mm-hmm. to basically use. I like the- Active Campaigns. Yeah. Active Campaigns, who is a kind of like a cost effective CRM that has some definite whistles of like the bigger, larger, well known CRMs, but not quite the complexity of it. But that mm-hmm. also means there's certain things in it that doesn't necessarily, that isn't there exactly for you to use, which is where Zapier comes in, because then you can just zap it between that and maybe like Excel, right? Like if there's something you wanted to zap between Excel and that. And I mean, for those who haven't heard of Zapier, like you can even do things like, like if you have something like in your active campaign and you want to zap it over to your Excel and then you want to say, hey, as soon as I zap it over to my Excel, I want, I want a chat to be, you know, notified, a chat notify notification to my manager or something like, like through, through teams or Slack, whatever it is that you use. Like it's actually kind of possible for you to make that happen through Zapier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I use it for when a letter of engagement is signed. Yeah. A Google drive folder will be created for the client with their name in it. Which is very cool. I have to say. Yeah. I, I have that. And then a notification email gets sent to my client relations manager who yeah. will uh, send an email to the client to say, hey, welcome. Yeah, and that's um, a great use of automating your process, which Savannah has done. It's a great way of automating <laughs> the process without having to go out and buy an all-in-one system, which may be very expensive. Yep. Exactly, and putting the human touch in there as well. You got it. And and the thing about Active Campaign, I will also say that my experience with Active Campaign was fantastic. Um, uh, they have... Uh, I want to say it was three different touches uh, with a, an active campaign person who does a 30 minute video with you to basically teach you how to use the product, the product. Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked that as well because I want, I'm a, I learn through example. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to be able to talk to a person about um, what I needed. So yeah, makes sense. So I would be remiss if I did not recommend this book. It's called Delivering Quality Service, as I mentioned way in the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) It's written by, again, sorry if I say it wrong, Valerie Zaythamel, A. Parasuraman, and Leonard Berry. Yeah, well, we'll have the full author's names in the show notes, and you can see that they're they're quite difficult to pronounce properly, so we do apologize for butchering it if we are. Yes. And hey, if anybody understands difficult names, it would be me. Uh, The description includes excellence in customer service is the hallmark of success in service industries and among manufacturers of products that require reliable service. But what exactly is excellent service? It is the ability to deliver what you promise, say the authors. But first, you must determine what you can promise which I love because you have to know what it is you can promise to your clients before you try to deliver it. Um, are you even capable of it? Uh, building on seven years of research on service quality, they construct a model that by balancing a customer's perceptions of the value of a particular service with the customer's need for that service provides brilliant theoretical insight into customer expectations and service delivery. The link to buy the book from Amazon, of course, is included in the show notes. So please join us for our next episode where we will discuss the second part of our two-part series, Quality Control, except this time focused on employees. 
Please show us your support by following us on your preferred podcast platform, social media, and YouTube. We'd love for you to also share our episodes. All of our links are posted below. Until next time, mind your business behind your small business.